and Matt. We're an interracial couple with two kids wanting to do something that highlights the power of friendship and what it means to be in the company of true friends. We're going to move our society away and out of the loneliness epidemic and into a friendlier, happier world. Welcome to our friendly world. Better, stronger, together. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to our friendly world. Welcome to our roundtable, Connected. Roundtable Connected. We talk about all the different ways we are interconnected. We have friends from around the world at the table. And every week we have a different topic. Today's topic is self-principle. And I am so excited to introduce you to Paul Martin, also known as Lotus, who will be leading us through our session today. At our table today, we have my love, Matt Anderson. Hello. We have our beautiful, beautiful Katie Losasso. Hello. <laughs> we have our beautiful Beth Hewitt. We have our beautiful KJ. You're beautiful too, Matt. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. We have KJ Nasrul here. Hi. <laughs> we have me. Hello. I'm Fawn. Beautiful Fawn. Thanks, babe. All right. So today we and we have beautiful Paul. I did say Paul, and I was just about to say we have, and you cut me off. And today we have our fantastic, amazing friend Paul, who is leading this session today. We're talking about self principle. Paul, Polly, welcome everyone. Thank you. Take it away, sweet friend. Okay, groovy. Right here we go. Hello, gorgeous people. So my name is Paul, Paul Martin. I am a meditation facilitator, teacher, coach. I have been teaching meditation for almost three years now. I started teaching it in Thailand from one of my old teachers. He was called Paul Garrigan, this Irish guy who I actually met in sobriety when I was coming off of drugs and booze and stuff like that. He's a fascinating inspiration. He's a master of meditation, mainly through Buddhism. And he was my first teacher. I've had a few others along my journey. I got into meditation when I was about 16. One of my best friends, Madhu, from a Hindu family. How do you say his name again? Madhu, that's the short version. And so he first got me into it, asking the big questions and it opened my eyes, but opened my heart. And, you know, I got distracted with drugs and and booze and stuff like that till I was about 24, I think, when I got clean. Do you Um, remember your first meditation, what that was like, what the feeling was like? Like mm, the first time you ever experienced it? So the first time is... it's unbelievable, you know, to have a bit more of a prolonged stillness of peace in the mind. I mean, because, you know, our minds can go mental all day long. They just keep chopping and churning and they never stop. And there's only, I always describe there's only, yeah, that one time when you find that peace without meditating. And that's when you see something beautiful in life. And it captivates you and, and time goes still because you let go of all attachments to the earth. 
and you find that beautiful peace like if you're looking at a sunset or something but it only lasts like split seconds and then it goes but to experience that for the first time to prolong that that peace to stretch it out through meditation i mean there's nothing like it can i ask you a question paul yeah this is something i've always wondered because i've been meditating for a long time too i was meditating before i knew what what i was doing like i was meditating as a child i would ride my bike miles and miles to go to this area at the beach and i would sit there for hours a little kid sitting there for hours and i would scare the adults that were jogging back and forth this was in (laughs) l.a and they didn't know what I was doing. They asked me if I was okay. Because they would come back an hour later and I hadn't moved at all. And I didn't know what I was doing. It was just what I was called to do. Like I was drawn to it. But yeah. it's really interesting how you can stop time and you can access all these other realms. And you can you can do things. You can maneuver, right? But have, what do you guys think when you're meditating and you achieve that? Or like you look at a beautiful sunset and you experience that stillness. But have you all like had a trip? Like you tripped and like you're falling and then it feels like everything is going in slow motion while you figure out how to how to maneuver so you don't hurt yourself. Or if you've ever been in any kind of an accident, like time stops and everything mm-hmm. slows down and it feels like it's going on forever. You know what I mean? Is that the same? Do you guys think that's the same as the reaching that point of meditation where it stops time? I mean, I I think so. You know, it's like that fear makes you let go of all attachments. You know, it's like when you see that beautiful thing, you let go of all attachments to the world. And that's what you do through meditation. And, you know, it's the same when I had a car crash when I was about 17. I crashed into this tractor's trailer, yeah, and it crumpled, like, right up to my face. And I walked away with scratches, you know, blessed. But yeah, time stood stood still and that crash seemed like it was lasting a good five minutes. But yeah, all you're thinking about is, oh, bloody hell, you know, I'm, I'm crashing. I'm about to maybe die. And then you just forget about everything you even cared about, everything you love and everything you hate. You just let go and you're just there in the moment, aren't you? So yeah, yeah it works the same, I think, definitely. I think the whole world has been in this trauma and i'm wondering if in the midst of that if we're all manipulating time in a way because i don't know if you've all noticed but like the past year the time has sped up i mean yeah the way life has slowed down has given people a chance to either work on themselves or become lazy i think people have either gone one way or the other in 2020 so yeah i mean it's a massive opportunity to to step into self-love self-growth meditation all this kind of stuff and do stuff that people have never tried before or you know it's also an opportunity for people to sit on the sofa and watch netflix all day and eat loads of junk food so it's up to that person really i mean either way i think it probably is leading everyone even if you are sitting on the sofa watching netflix and and eating junk food it still is transformative happens for a reason yeah definitely because it will teach them a lesson in a, in a way or another so i apologize if i've veered us away from the lesson plan but that's how i do guys i'm sorry which is probably why i have a podcast i talk too much take it away paul sorry <laughs> okay okay self-principle right okay so self-principle in a whole is it's an action 
it's the actions we do on our thoughts that come up really so i mean thoughts principles come up in our thoughts but we can challenge those thoughts or we cannot and then the action that we act upon with those thoughts coming up is our self principles so that's it as a whole so i've got a little list here i've got a few all right some good ones okay acceptance forgiveness pride and then there's false pride so there's two different types of pride important that empathy love understanding patience and tolerance they normally come hand in hand and then there's the bad self principles of that which is impatience and intolerance and then there's like encouragement and an opposite to that could be self-righteous or like you wanting to win rather than the other person encouraging them to win if you are going against them, you know, stuff like this. Can I ask you a quick so, question? Yeah, go on. Can you, can you explain to me pride and false pride? What's the difference? Say if you worked really hard to achieve a qualification and it took you a couple of years and it, you know, it took a lot of time and effort and you're very proud of getting that qualification that's pride that's a good pride you know you deserve that pride it's good to be prideful about that because because it is to stand in that and be like i did this you know not in an egotistical way but in a self-loving way being happy for yourself you know standing in that and then there's the false pride for example me being english every now and then you know it comes up in my head sometimes i'll be like uh, someone will be chatting about their country and they'll be like it's the best country i've like, mate i won't say it but my thought will come up and be like england's the best country come on let's be honest you know <laughs> that that is a false pride that's a negative pride you know so i mean for me if when it comes up in my mind i don't act upon that i just go oh okay my mind's thinking this well, I'm not going to act on that and push it away. But yeah, they're two examples. Got it. Thanks, Paul. Nice. Right, okay. Well, so so let's get chatting. Let's get chatting. Who wants to start talking about maybe their experiences with self-principles? Hmm. Like any of the examples? Maybe where you've had to challenge your mind. Can you start with your own personal ones? <laughs> right. Okay, right. So... Let's chat about my family. That's a good one. That's I love an easy it. One. I love yeah. it. That's easy because I mean I get triggered quite a lot by my family. I think most people do. Wait, you do? You totally yeah. seem like you totally get along with your folks. And wait, you know are what? you an only child, Paul? No, I got an older sister. You do? Where is she? She is. She's not far away. She's like half an hour away. In England, she's got this cute little chapel school Aww. that she lives in but yeah i think she naturally gets on and understands my family better than i do i get on with my family really well but i work really hard at it you know i use that pause button a lot you do I... paul every time i talk to you every every time you just seem like you have the sweetest relationship with your folks like it is yeah. the sweetest i'm surprised by what you're saying yeah well, I mean, I used to be a little bugger as well back in the day. And um, <laughs> we didn't have the sweetest relationship. When I was in, like, my active addiction and stuff, I was a little, yeah, yeah, to stay with bugger. Right. But, I mean, for example, let's go with, let's go with self-pity, for example. Should I go for self-pity? No, let's go for forgiveness. Forgiveness. My false pride can come up quite a lot with my father. 
you know it's like two two stags holding horns against each other like blah in the forest and they're like bucking at each other and i think my false pride can stand up more so with with my dad than anyone else i don't know why i think it's because 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 of the years actually the years of arguments and stuff before I got clean and sober, before I started challenging my self-principles, I wouldn't challenge my mind at all. It would be automatic. So we'd get into arguments a lot. And obviously those those memories and those resentments made an in- engraving on my mind. And it made that false pride even bigger and even stronger against my dad because we used to disagree quite a lot. So with forgiveness, I can find it very hard sometimes because I can be quite stubborn and so can he. And luckily I'm blessed enough to know that I can challenge myself principles sort of thing. But my dad, I don't think has learned this so much yet. So, you know, his, his stubbornness might sustain a bit more so than mine does when we get into a bit of a debate nowadays so if he doesn't accept that he's wrong or something rather than me forgiving him quickly and acknowledging that he's a different person he's on a different path where we're learning things at different speeds you know we're two separate entities and i need to just love him and forgive him and you know help him on his beautiful journey of life like he has to me you know the amount of times I've been a little monkey in the in the beginning of my life and he's forgiven me for all the stuff all the all the savage stuff I caused him and mum you know the pain I caused him in my addiction and stuff like that I was really a selfish person in my addiction manipulative and stuff like that and rather than being easily forgiving which I think I need to practice a lot more with my father because of my false pride is quite there it's quite naturally there for me not just with him but it is especially uh, with him which is sad I, I i know i just need to work on it more and the more i do work on it the less it will be there so you know it's, it's a slow progression but yeah it doesn't because of that false pride it doesn't help me be forgiving as easily but i mean all of these kind of self-principle things is just practice in the end of the day it's just, yeah, it's just practicing it. And the more we practice it, the more it becomes us, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you mind? Can uh-huh. I share mine? Yeah, go for it. Are you done? I don't want to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. All done. Well, since you brought up your family, I'm going to bring up mine. Matt is raising his eyebrows. I'm looking at all these words that you said. Acceptance, forgiveness, pride, empathy, understanding, patience, tolerance, encouragement, all of that. For me, like, I feel like I can use all of that in my experience with my family that I was born into. The situation is that, you know, I've often told you guys that ever since I was born, I've been taking notes, I've been quiet, and I've been watching people. Like, I recall things from the age when I was in diapers. I didn't know how to walk yet, but I can recall what I was thinking and I can recall and tell you what was happening in the room, what kind of conversations were being had and the general feel of things like I've been taking notes forever. And so 
I watched my family that I was born into. And I say it that way because I don't consider them family. I was born into that group and it took me many, many years and so many different therapists to, to distance myself from that so I could have a healing happen within me after having been through living with these people. And the shock of that in a way that I had to create a pure circle for myself, especially when I decided I'm, I'm going to create a life with Matt. I didn't want any infection coming in because by that, we, we met at a pretty late age, I guess, you know, we weren't totally young when we met. So I had done the work I've been through, had been through so many therapists. So I, it's not like I made a hasty decision to cut off my family, but from an early, early age, I realized I cannot take anything personally that these people are in pain. So I had to Mm -hmm. accept them for who they were. But in return, I never got that acceptance from them. So it was always like, I just got hate coming at me from these people, even at a very early age, you know, at an age of innocence, like I did not deserve any of that. And I knew I didn't as things were happening, as things were said to me, as things were done to me, I was like, wow, these people are in pain. It really has nothing to do with me. If anything, they want me to help them along to carry on this kind of behavior. And I was never about that. So I had empathy for them and and I had pride for the way I was on the inside. Like I knew who I was, regardless of what they called me, regardless of if they said you're an ungrateful child or you're, you're just... I don't know. They, I got called all kinds of names and the whole idea of forgiveness. I mean, I, I knew before it was hip that in order for me to have a good life, I needed to forgive and not take things so personally that I needed to forgive them. And in doing that, empathy was involved because I had to feel what they must be going through to live that way, to speak that way, to treat someone that is supposed to be your family, your love, to treat them so poorly, you must be in a lot of pain. So, you know, for me, it was beyond forgiveness. And I just had to keep listening and keep watching. And at a certain point, I had to completely distance myself and step away to the point where they didn't know where I was anymore, that I had to completely cut them off. I couldn't even talk to them on the phone. And it took years of therapy to get over that guilt of doing that you know That's and not, it, not not an easy decision is it it really isn't and when i tell when i used to tell people what i had done and what i had done was cut them off i would people would just stop talking to me some people like their own issues came up with their families you mm-hmm. know like if it, if i was talking to someone who was a, a parent and they were having trouble with their children, regardless of the age of the child. Because I had done what I did, it th- I think it totally threatened them and scared them. But like I had so many people stop talking to me. But I had to do it. I had to do it, guys. Like to after a point, you know, they say you you should leave a 
an unhealthy relationship. Well, sometimes that unhealthy relationship could be with your family. And there, there are certain rare cases where it cannot be worked out because one, one party will not work it out because they will never assume responsibility. And you can't, you can't keep going with that madness. And so, I don't know. So I, I'm just thinking of tolerance, you know, like I feel I have tolerance, but if the other side does not have tolerance, I know my own self principles, but if the other side doesn't know theirs, how can you have a cohesive, harmonious relationship? You can't. Mm. And so anyway, that's my story. And I don't know. It's a, it's, it's really long and complicated and it's, it used to be quite painful, but now I'm just like, especially now that I'm a mom, I realize this is what I totally have to do. I made decisions that were heart-wrenching, that took years for me to actually walk with that decision. I, w- I felt so much guilt because it, especially because of who I am, because I'm very friendly and I love bringing people together and I'm all about family. I'm about family, universal family. I've always been about that. With my photography work, it's always been about that. But yet, if you get to know me and you find out, wow, Fawn cut her family off completely. And not just immediate family. I had to cut off all the relatives and I had thousands of them around the world. But, you know, from the culture that I come from, you can't just be friends with one and not the other. It just, you know, they're so tight knit and they, no matter the bad behavior, they let things keep happening. So I had to cut everybody off. Anyway, that's it. Does that, does that compute with what we're talking about today or did I totally go off? Yeah. I mean, I think you definitely made the right decision because obviously, you know, using that, that self-principle tolerance, you know, there's only so much that there's a limit and there's a boundary and you can blow up eventually and that limit just gets pushed and pushed so sometimes you have to take unfortunate extreme steps which aren't easy like you have but you know the self principles that you had at such a a young age naturally your heart given those naturally like the empathy and forgiveness and understanding you know trying to understand that they're in in pain and stuff like that even though they're causing you sadness to naturally have that is amazing it's an amazing quality most people don't have that and the people that do have it normally they figure it out later on in life by doing things like i do you know challenging the mind and stuff like that so to uh to naturally have that is is it's amazing it's incredible a gem thanks for understanding because even to this day i worry like, am I going to lose this friend now that I've said what I said? Now that they know. I mean, and nothing changed. You know, if you're going to be bad, <laughs> I don't care if you're dying. It's not going to change anything for me. So, like, I reached a point where I guess someone was on their deathbed. It was my mother, I guess. And I, and I say I guess because there were so many lies throughout the years that I couldn't believe anything that came out of their mouth. It was constantly like, 
just some threat of death or some threat. The lines were so often, so rapid fire that I just, I had to tell myself, well, I don't know what, what their truth is. So I'm not going to react. I'm not going to get into that state of constant panic every time they say something. But, you know, I kind of prepped myself for it. Like if they say so-and-so is dying, are you going to show up and say, I love you? Well, I did say I love you throughout my whole time with them. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, showing up to someone's uh, crossing over period, it's not going to change anything for me. And that makes me so hardcore. And I hope people don't think I'm a bad person. But when they said, your mother is passing away, we need you to come. And they hadn't, you know, been a part of my life at all. And even when they were, it was so bad. I'm like, okay, no, <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't going to show up for that and suddenly make things okay just because someone is crossing over. Does that make sense, you guys? I know it sounds really bad, but yeah, yeah, makes sense. But I have no ill will and I have no no hate and I have love. I just I'm not going to be in their presence and that's it. Well, if, if if anything, it doesn't sound bad. It sounds the opposite. Cause I mean, if you, you know, how much you cherish family now and how much you you adore that and you love that for you then to let go of your old family obviously that must have been even harder you expressing how much you love the idea of family so it shows that it was an even harder decision than for for other people who don't cherish and love family as much as you do it was paul um, it was so hard it was so bad and then when I have to stick to my own self principles and say to myself, I am a loving person. I am a loving mother. I'm a loving wife. I'm a loving friend. But in this case, if you're going to say how, how dare you call yourself a good person? If you're turning back your back on your mother, you know, like threatening me and saying I'm a bad person you have to really get to your own core and know yourself principles and know who you truly are because you could get hit with that. You could have people that know how to hurt you, say things to you to make you doubt yourself and make you doubt your own principles. Yeah, staying with your truth and yeah, know your truth. Yeah, but, beautiful, lovely example. Anyone else got any, any good ones? Matt, do you want to go? <laughs> Great, call me out. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm still working on the subject matter, but I will throw something out and we'll see We'll see if it is or isn't. Let's see what sticks. Let's see what sticks. That's what I like to say. Yeah, um, so when I, was a, when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, call it what you will, very angry all the time. And it's because people say, looked at me and they d made split-second decisions on who I was. Can I just say gorgeous and angry? Like your pictures when... From high school, <laughs> rock star, total like heavy, heavy metal rock star, gorgeous. Yeah. So that's sex, sexy, angry. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in a, a, where I grew up, it was, it was fairly conservative and I had long hair and you know, I can count, I, I didn't do drugs, but my God, everybody thought I did to the point where people would go by me and ask me if I was, if I had anything. I mean, it was just, 
And so I was, I was, I was, I was this cauldron of just anger all the time, except of course with my buddies, but just angry, just all the time. And it was, it was my, it was a self-defense mechanism. It was very much mm. like, you can't touch me because I'm going to give you so much rage if you try. Can I ask you where that came from? <sighs> it's, Why it's, did you feel like you had to defend all the time? Freshman year. So first year in high school, I'm 13, right? I'm not, I don't have long hair at this point. I'm just normal guy, right? I'm just bebopping along. I mean, you know, you're the smallest, littlest kids of the school. You're trying to figure stuff out. And we had a, a school kind of police. And over the course of like the first two weeks of school, they harassed me like three times. Wait, other countries don't know what that is. So in America, we have, even even when we were kids, we had like I can tell you in, in my schools we had gun violence. Kids Yeah, we didn't. Kids came to school with guns, guys. Like in their lockers we had guns. Mm. And this was before the sh mass shootings, but we had police in our in our right. schools. I don't want to exp explain that to no, the no, countries no, I, that I are listening that don't know. We so, had policing in school. So, and I got frisked like twice in my first two weeks of school. <laughs> what? Cuz I had my wallet in my front pocket. And Wait. I had a keychain that looked maybe like a lighter if you looked at and it. And this this was before your long hair. This and was before the whole heavy metal look, right? I'm just an innocent young young lad. Like very conservative looking, actually. Right? I wouldn't say I was that conservative looking, but I mean, <laughs> come on. I was 13. How conservative or non-conservative can you look? But I, I certainly didn't. I didn't look like the hellion I later looked like. <laughs> And it just built from there. It was it was very much a self defense mechanism, honestly. Right. And I I heard stories later where I was always in the honors classes because I'm a little smarty, whatever. But there would be stories every year, at least for two years, my third and fourth year in high school, where I would start school, I would start my classes, and in the teachers' lounge. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I, I scared you there, babe. In the teachers' lounge, people would say, "Who is this Matt Anderson?" What's he doing in my class? No, no, no. Seriously, he's smart. No, no. And other teachers would basically like let this person know who I was, what I was, because I was that much of a just an unusual character because I was out there. I was going to do whatever I was going to do. And, you know, don't mess with me. But I, I, I did my schoolwork. So it's a weird thing. So anyways, fast forward. I go away to college and... I had a writing teacher because we didn't write anything in in high school, so I didn't know how to write, basically, besides the five-paragraph essay. Anyways, and I had to write something for my core class, for my college, at university, whatever. And I wrote it, and there was one sentence in there that said, uh, I was talking about, I was a day camp counselor, blah, 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 having fun with the kids, and I wrote, once they got past my hair. Ugh. And my writing instructor, like like an old school like meditation uh, artist with a with a bokeh like bapping me on the head said what is that doing there get rid of that that doesn't belong in this essay and she was right and at that moment it was like this bowstring that was so taut loosened and I said you're right I am not defined by how other people choose to see me I'm defined by who I am not the perception, not the looking through the lens of someone else's experience. And it was a very enlightening moment for me and reinforced later and later and later because, of course, I didn't actually let go of all the hatred at that point. It took a minute, but it, 
that was the beginning of that process. That was the beginning of the process of letting go of all of that. Because, you know, back in the day, if you looked at me cross-eyed, I was, I was going to go for you. But I don't, you know, am, am I on track? Am I not on track? Is this, is this self-principle or just an interesting story? I don't know. No, gorgeous, gorgeous, exactly. So you've got anger and you've replaced that self-principle for love. And you spoke about the moment, the beautiful moment mm-hmm. when that clicked, when that happened. It's funny, like one of my old mentors, he used to speak to me and say, Paul, if everyone likes you, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> I definitely agree with that statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I used to be a massive people pleaser. You know, when I walked into a party, I wanted everyone to know who I was. And, you know, I was friends with my true friends who were lovely, beautiful people. And I was also friends with like gangsters and dodgy gypsies and stuff like this. And, you know, they all knew me just as well as each other. And it didn't make sense, you know. Because I always wanted everyone to to like me and to know who I was. Right. But yeah, that was beautiful what you said at the end. It doesn't matter what people think of you. It matters what you think of you. Self-respect, <clears throat> self-truth. Gorgeous. Right. Who who else? Who else wants to go? Here we go. You, somebody better speak up or else, you know, Professor Fawn will call on you. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling with the concept of it. Not, not because it's a... It's a subject that I really is interesting. I like, but I think when I'm thinking about it, all of my emotions, all of my memories, are like rolling into one, and I don't know when it starts and when it finishes. If you know what I mean. Mm. And then I start thinking about so when I was when I was little, I was sad and angry and upset with the world. I hated being at school. I couldn't wait to leave school. I didn't want to be there. And I can't remember at what point I became positive and I can't remember at what point <laughs> I became more accepting of who I am. Mm. And so I'm, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling with that. Do you, I'm try- do you think I'm try- there were, maybe there wasn't just, you know, maybe it wasn't one big point. Maybe it slowly happened. Yeah, I think it did. It, it must have done. Mm. Uh, I, I remember, so I, I couldn't wait to leave school. So when everybody was going up to like, sixth form I wanted to leave the school that I was in and go somewhere else because I wanted to be so far away from everybody because I didn't feel I ever fitted with the groups I was with uh and so I left went to another college but then didn't I only lasted there about a month before I decided no I don't want to be here either so I had a gap I went to uh, then I started working I worked for two or three years and then I decided I wanted to go back into education and I wanted to be a teacher at one point and so when I went back into education at about 19, I could only go to a college that had sort of like 16, 17 year olds coming through when I was 19. And I felt so much older than these 16 and 70 year olds. I just felt like a different, felt worlds apart. But it was my, my chance now to get my education. I was going to put everything into it and I was going to get as many qualifications as I could. And then I realised that, that, I realised at that point that I was more intelligent than I had given myself you know mm. there you go there there it is there's the, yeah. there's the, the point because when i was up. at school i went to a school that was you had to um do an exam to get into it so you had to you had to pass this exam but when i got there i always felt like i was at the bottom like there was mm. like the cream of the crop the people were so intelligent and i always felt i was trying to keep up with them and i just couldn't so that i just wanted to leave and then um, it, it wasn't until I was like 19, 20 that I realized actually I'm quite an intelligent person. I, I'd never given myself that 
I'd never yeah. played that before until Lovely. I was like, yeah. So, so the, those two principles there is self pity and self love. Yeah. And the moment that you spoke about is when you yeah came to realization of self love. Mhm. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's yeah, it's funny. Like as well, like people use self pity, don't they, to escape. Yeah. Escape layers of different things. You know, escape the world, es- escape shyness. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Beautiful. It's so nice that you came into it, into the self-love. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would personally, I would use self-pity as an excuse to do so many bad things, so many negative things, not just to myself, but to other people. And, you know, and that false pride again will come up even more. So let me stay in that safety of self-pity. And, and self-love is hard as well, because you stand tall in that big, pigeon chest you know and never doing that before is really scary it's standing in that self-love and that vulnerability it's, it's scary most people find it easier to stand in self-pity than self-love mm. yeah. yeah interesting i can tell you that that's how they got me to stay in that unhealthy family because they used self-pity um like how dare you go off to college how dare you think of having this dream you need to stick with us poor us how dare you leave the family how dare you you know what i mean as opposed to like i think if they had such self-love for themselves they would have this knowing this is my family by the way not anybody else but that life is good and we can make life bigger we can make our lives bigger and grander so nothing can threaten you mm. and because they these people in my world were such self-pity people it's kind of like crabs how you talk how they talk about like crabs will keep each other from getting out of that bucket you know that story about if one crab decides oh, really to, do you know that story matt or is it just an american thing like, is, that real, is that real? If you have, if you actually, if you tried that? No, I, I'm a vegan, so I would never do anything like that to <laughs> any creature. But they always, they always describe if you have a bucket of crabs, and one tries to escape and one tries to leave, that they'll pull it down. They'll pull. It, have, why are you looking at me like that, Matt? Do you know what I'm talking nope. about? You've never heard the crab nope, story. I haven't heard the crab story. Anybody heard the crab story? Anybody? No, KJ? I mean, we never use buckets. We just get them out with some bacon. And nobody's them. heard about the crabs? <laughs> wow, guys, nobody? All right, all right, never mind. Well, what I'm saying is, like, they just, they want company. Never mind, next. I mean, it makes complete sense, yeah. And it, it, it brings people together, you know? It's the same, like, as gossip, isn't it? People right. gossip to feel a part of something, even though it's negative right it's quite it's natural gossip is natural and it's addictive it's like there must be some chemical reaction yeah that you just constantly crave the bad behavior you know and you're attracted to it well it's familiar isn't it exactly yeah and that's just that's it's like it's if that's all we know how to feel the part then we're just going to keep using that method until you come to like a realization like you three have already spoken about where finally some incident happens and that 
you see a different pathway, you know, like self-pity to self-love. You guys, there was this poem, one of the last therapists that I had, by the way, every therapist I had from the age of 17 on to like, I won't tell you how old I am, but like I had many of them. They all said the same thing. Leave these people. You need to get out. And that shocked me, but I couldn't do that because of my culture. You don't do that in my culture. You don't just leave the family. Anyway, but the very last memory of like the most amazing therapist that I was talking to, a psychologist, she gave me this poem and I wish I could find this poem. I don't remember who wrote it and I don't remember the words. I just remember the images in my head when I read the poem. And if anyone out there, if this helps you, I'm just going to, I'm sorry, I'm taking this opportunity to talk again. And I said, I would be quiet, but you guys, the poem was that, so this person is trying to leave, but the voices keep the person staying there. The voices keep holding that person there and the voices are terrifying and the voices keep telling you, you can't leave. Don't leave. Stay here. And you know you need to leave. And for you to take one step and another step and another step and keep walking. And the voices keep calling you and pulling you back and saying, don't leave. This is your place. Don't leave. Don't leave us. This is scary. This is. It is. The voices are horrifying. <laughs> but because, because you're used to it, it's, it's where you want to be because you're used to that. Like, right? It's comforting because you're you're comfortable in that misery in that bad relationship and the poem eventually says you know you keep walking and all of a sudden you realize the voices are now far away until you don't hear them again and it sounds scary but like the poem totally liberated me <laughs> but that's what it was like you keep walking and eventually those haunting voices will stop mm. they will stop calling you yeah that's it just keep going in it yeah i mean i'm not gonna listen to this podcast before i go to sleep i was literally there i was there in my head i was like oh no these voices oh dear right there you you planted the seed in my head oh no what upset you guys i'm saying chatting to you later like fawn i can hear stuff (laughs) la 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's all good let's, let's keep walking let's go no seriously right. yeah like winston churchill said right if if you find yourself what, what was it if you should find yourself traveling through hell for god's sake keep going yeah keep walking yeah. wow yeah nice sweet dreams yeah, couple. <laughs> <laughs> uh right anyway let's move on to butterflies and fairies kj Okay. For me, similarly, like Beth, it, it isn't that I don't have anything to say. I have everything to say. Yeah. So I'm trying to, yeah, yeah. you know, pinpoint and maybe reveal a little bit in a succinct way. But I can say this, that when I learned what today's roundtable was about, I was tossing around in my head what I believed or understood my self principles or principles to be. Mm. And so principles for me 
seem to be, they've morphed more into, I see them more as sort of informing and shaping, shaping movements and shaping experiences, values. Mm. And like folks have mentioned before, it's natural that I move to my childhood, to my earliest memories to see where, where they sprung from, where they were born from. And uh, something that Fawn had said earlier too, and we'd spoken about offline, about, about almost, I mean, in utero, I kind of emerged into this world, this lifetime seeing observing. So my values and my informing and shaping principles were from what I observed and what I saw. And I think, Paul, you mentioned too, uh, and it might have been before we hit record, but this power in pausing. Mm, Yeah, the pause button. The pause button. And I learned from a very, very early, early age to be quiet and observe and trust what I'm seeing but not speak on it right away, if at all, but just observe and know that that is one language or one interpretation of a situation, but not 100%. It's not, it's not an all-knowing and all-truth. It was just one interpretation of what happened or what an experience was. So if I would see somebody, if I would see other kids my age treated unkindly, I wouldn't necessarily know that that was bullying or being unkind I just sensed it in my in my physical being something something would feel physically premortally off and and so I know I don't know that I think language was one of the last last intelligences that I developed over time but I certainly I certainly knew to be quiet observe hold and pause and know that something significant was happening and it, that it was shaping me. Mm. And it certainly impacted the way that I would then treat somebody else. And again, I don't have specific words and language around what I just said, other than I know that my values and my informing shaping, shaping experiences really have me in tuned with compassion, empathy, mm. Yeah, exactly. Inclusion. I I would always I could always tell when there needed to be a shift so that there was an inclusion and not an exclusion. I was very very sensitive to anybody or anything that was overlooked or excluded. So I knew I was always drawn to wanting to include, encircle, protect. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, I mean before you said it, I was thinking exactly those two words, compassion and empathy, because you were speaking about that when you when you saw other people being left out or being sad and stuff like that. You know, empathy, it's quite a natural one, isn't it? Out of all the loving kind of principles, it's probably the most natural one that we want to come together and sort of thing. And it's a beautiful one to have, and especially with children, children have it more so than adults. We like kind of you know, gets knocked out of us. I remember this guy in rehab, yeah, he's quite a hard man. He had gone to, like, eight prisons or something, and he used to boast about it until another hard man came in, and he had been to, like, 20 prisons, and then he stopped boasting about it. And we were talking about empathy, and he was like, I don't know what empathy is. He just didn't know 
how to feel it truthfully. And it was lovely that he was being truthful about that. And towards the end, he started just opening up and all this love started coming out. And he, towards the end, he said, I feel empathy. And he could, he could speak about moments when it was coming up and talk about situations. So, I mean, that was gorgeous to see, you know, to see this big, hard, tough guy come into like beautiful, I don't want to say a beautiful little flower that I don't think that's the right word, but yeah. Wait, so how did he come to experience empathy? How did he, how do you explain, how do you teach that? How did empathy come to him? I can't remember the exact moments or the examples. Like, do you put a sad movie on or like a romantic movie on and and like watch the person? if, if... Say like if another addict came into the rehab and they were they were crying about their life being so down and terrible, you know, beforehand he would have just been like, oh, it's just another addict. Look, my my life's bad. I'm not going to care about your life. But now he's like, I understand you. I feel you. you know? uh... When you go when you go into their shoes and feel them. And then you you feel sad for them and then you love them when they can't love themselves. That's empathy. Katie, you got you got um, there. Okay. I loved the subject. At first I thought, oh my gosh, what is this about? Because it entails so much. And I think these are all qualities that we need to work on our our whole life. Much like Beth and Matt in school. I had similar situations where in the United States, we have to take a placement test called SATs and ACTs to get into college. And I'm not very uh, adapted at taking those tests, so to speak, in that I got a very poor score. And my teacher in the counselor said to me, wow, with a score like that, you're never going to get into college. Well, that crushed me because... I was expected to go to college and I wanted to go to college. So as it turns out, I did get into college on a special academic watch group where they helped you with classes. And and as it turns out, I actually didn't need to be in there. And I graduated college in four years with a B plus. And I'm like, what happened with that? And, you know, ever since that, sometimes that voice still comes into my head and I'm like, that is just the worst thing that person could have ever said to me because that really did follow me throughout my whole life on certain things. Oh, you're not smart enough to do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. And then finally I've got to the point where, you know, that is really something that does not serve me and I have to get over that. (laughs) And, and I've proven many times that, that I did overcome that. And so it's just something like all these self-principles, especially in my family too, I've had a lot of addiction in my family and I've had to work on acceptance, understanding, forgiveness. And it's just something that I have to realize that my family members are going through and it's very hard for them to overcome it. And I just have to be there for them and accept it. And I do understand what's going on for them. So, you know, in conclusion, I think these are something that comes up for us every day in challenges that we have meeting people in our everyday life, 
we have to we have to forgive we have to give people encouragement for the good job like our children like oh you're doing such a good job we have to have empathy for people with they're going through every day in certain stressful situations love is like everybody love is everything you know it's just it has to be everywhere and patience too i mean patience as they say is a virtue and boy that's a hard virtue (laughs) and uh, it's something that that actually has to be worked on every day so i just love all these principles and also acceptance too one of my favorite part of acceptance is the serenity prayer that i'm sure paul you know i know very well say that all the time and so that is one of my favorite prayers because it just doesn't have to be for people in AA. It's for everybody, except mm. the things I cannot change. The courage things can, courage change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So that that is very powerful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, that was lovely to say. <laughs> I loved as well that you said everything is love. And I mean, all of those good self principles all kind of come under the bubble of love or under the column so like exactly like you said love is like on top of everything and if you go into any of those positive self principles you kind of need love for them to be truthful and honest and really really work and like you said as well like you got to go at it every day and it's all about the little steps isn't it you do it every day and that's when it becomes you truthfully if you just do it once every blue moon it's never going to become you yeah gorgeous loved it nice lovely love them all how long we got left am i meant to ask that right groovy the last question was going to be what's your biggest moment of acceptance in your life where acceptance has had the biggest impact on your life and the biggest change and we kind of did go into that with most people definitely so i mean i know for me Yeah, mine is when I figured out I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic sort of thing. So my brain works different compared to most other people's brains. And it goes into the the false, the bad self-principles a lot easier than most other people do. And I, I figured out in rehab, actually, when I went to rehab, that normally when, if something happens before you're seven years old, it can that makes you feel incorrect. And I remember my incident stronger than any any other memory from when I was little. And uh, when that happens, making you feel incorrect, not sad, but incorrect, it makes your brain stop producing the dopamine and endorphins area as much as a normal person would. So I'm not getting these happy feelings in my head. And obviously drugs and alcohol give you that straight away. So this is why my brain wants drugs and alcohol and this is why my brain has started bringing in these manipulation self-principles and stuff like this to get my fix and to get love from elsewhere rather than myself and to manipulate to get drugs and money and stuff like this and it became me because i would you know i did it so long for such yeah for such a long period of time but yeah to, to come to the realization and acceptance that I was an addict was just beautiful because then I could step back and look at myself in a different light and actually start doing changes 
rather than taking it personally and bringing in emotions when I wanted to challenge my thoughts, stepping back and going, oh, okay, so there's two sides of me. There's my addict side and then there's my other side. So seeing that and then being able to challenge that addict side of my brain, if any of this makes sense, it um, totally, I hope it does. Um, it totally makes sense. Yeah, so I mean, when I, you know, I was going down this destructive path for most of my life, self-destructive path, even from a little child. And then when I got to 24 and had this beautiful realisation of acceptance through the gift of desperation, and because my life had gotten so self-destructive, through finally accepting that I was an addict and an alcoholic, I managed to start going into this beautiful, different direction, which wasn't self-destructive. It was self-loving, self examination self-growth self-challenging you know so that was my biggest part of acceptance in my life that's had had the biggest impact and i'm so so blessed and grateful for that truthfully that's beautiful i mean i think that's that just staying on what you just said for me that's a wrap right there i mean it's making me feel and think I'm getting a healing listening to what you just said. And it's a lot for me to think about. And as a mom, it's making me think about things too with our kids and just everything. Anybody else want to say anything else? I wanted to share that while everyone was speaking, you touched on something that really highlighted uh, an arc that I've known throughout my life, which was acceptance and the definition of, and it, it was around, again, language and defining, defining what acceptance was, what belonging meant, what beauty meant, what intelligence meant. And it wasn't until I was in college, yeah, maybe college. And it was certainly around the time when I was deciding between my 17 different majors that I had said that I was going to do. I ultimately was enrolled in university to be a piano and voice voice performance major. And then two weeks before I started, I bailed out and went to the local community college to study psychology and broadcast journalism. And because I didn't want to pinpoint, I didn't want to box myself in with music theory and structure and regime. I thought I would lose my, my passion for doing it. And so I was in college studying everything under the sun and I happened upon a developmental psychologist um, named Gardner who came up with and created the multiple intelligences theory, which speaks a lot to what Beth and Katie spoke about and Matt, where we weren't comfortable being put into boxes of like, this is what intelligence looks like. This is what scholarly looks like. This is what smart looks like. But Gardner introduced the idea that every single thing that we can do is a arena of intelligence. And so there are, it just opened up my world because I was just like, oh my God, I fit somewhere then. He came up with the different arenas of like, there's verbal intelligence, there's logical intelligence, and then there's spatial intelligence, how we use the space around us. Designers often use that, dancers, people that work in phys physical therapy. And then there's musical intelligence. 
And there are eight arenas altogether. But what it did was relieved my heart. It relieved the weight on my shoulders. My brother's incredibly cerebral and logical, and he was just hailed for his intelligence, where I was over here composing music, writing poems, not wanting to go to school. I didn't test well either, Katie. In, in any <laughs> entrance exams, I, I didn't test well, even though I knew I had intelligence. It didn't, it didn't mm-hmm. show up in my test scores. And so it was a great relief to realize that I had a level of, of somewhere, somewhere it was defined as intelligence and acceptance. And so I didn't mean to go off on a tangent like that, but that was that was a moment when I realized that, that there was acceptance and there are different, de- different definitions behind, behind these values and principles. What might be a principle for my mother or for my logically minded family members, I didn't hold the same. I didn't hold it in the same light. Yeah, similar to what Matt was on about. Yeah. Yeah, loving yourself. I didn't test well either, guys. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> Sweet. Welcome. <laughs> I remember my mum, she sent me to boarding school. When I got my results, she was like, you might as well have just sent you to a normal school, Paul. And I was like, thanks, mum. What a charmer. <laughs> what a charmer. <laughs> That's another structure that needs to change our whole education system. That needs to change the way we test for everything. I don't know what the tests are like in different countries, but here it's like you have to be of a social group that's accepted and it's usually Caucasian and wealthy for you to pass these tests because of the way the words are phrased, the way the um, questions are phrased. You have to think a certain way. So you take, you spend all this money to learn how to take the SATs and the ACTs. So you can acquire the knowledge of whatever mindset it is that created these questions. So you can understand them and then answer them the way they want you to answer them rather mm. than it really should be the other way around. Yeah, I think it's, it's not about like what you know, it's about how you say it. Don't make sense. Right. So. I think the the curriculum should be built around what KJ is talking about. You know, if you built it around the different intelligences, mm. then you would allow everybody to be who they are in one of those themes, and the world would be a better place because you'd be starting much younger, believing in yourself, believing in what you have as gifts for the world are true and rightful and should be should be used in the world instead of trying to fit into this almost just academic route that we, we, we tend to place on people. So the whole curriculums need to change. Maybe it will. That's my hope. Yeah. <laughs> Can you guys imagine what would happen with the economy if everything was that way from the beginning? Uh-huh. We would thrive. It would. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, booming. Yeah. Because there's so many people with so many talents and it's crushed before you have a chance to develop. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a couple of schools in England, Beth, that do that. I can't mem- remember the name for the schools, but they're private schools. Yeah. Um, I'm cool wondering, maybe... is it Montessori? The, the way that we see things here in the States, and I don't know if it's across Europe as well. Mont- Montessori, am I even pronouncing it correctly? You're pronouncing but, it correctly. 
Yeah. So it's a little closer to that in that, that you get to sort of rotate between different stations mm-hmm. that address different in- intelligence intelligences and skills. And it's not like between two and three, you're going to do math, you know, it's wander in that direction and see where, see where you're thriving, see where you're connecting and engaging. And again, if you're lucky enough to go to some Montessori school, yeah. it takes money. Yes. <laughs> then there's that. Good luck I, getting in there. Crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. I was so mad. I had friends that didn't go to Montessori. It was a different kind of a thing. It was in LA and it was structured kind of like what you were describing, KJ. And I had no idea things like that existed. So when I was in my early, early, no, I was in my twenties when I found out, like, you know, you meet friends and you're like, where'd you go to school? If you're, we were all from LA, but I'm like, where'd you go to school? They're like, where'd you go to school? And when I found out what school they went to and what their school was, I was so mad Yeah. because I'm like, wait a minute now. What? You, 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 what? You did what? You did what? (laughs) I didn't know that existed. And, know. you know, sure enough, they c- came from a very wealthy family. And, yeah, it was one of those schools all the, all the children of movie stars went to, you know, <laughs> in West L.A. And it's just an elite kind of experience. It's getting more robotic as well now with all like, uh, well, I think it was in 1990, I can't remember, 1990 something, especially when the... The English school's education board changed. So we used to have a separate board who controlled the education of, of the British children. And then it became changed into the government's control. It became a government board kind of thing. So now the government chooses what education systems are in place instead of its own entity and it's become ever since that I speak to my mum about it. She's a teacher and she agrees that it has become more robotic and more everyone has to be the same kind of thing. Like a factory. Yeah. 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 That's why we homeschool because everything's set up like it was at the turn of, actually, I can't say turn of the century anymore. You know, like the beginning of the early 1900s, right? We're developing factories and you stand in line. Everything is like a processing line and schools are set up the same exact way. And they're to this day still training you to be a factory worker. That's that mentality. And it doesn't work. And and the types of jobs that will be in existence in a few years don't even exist right now. So what they're teaching kids and what they're teaching even college level people you're what do you study for like you're you're studying the same old same old from a time that's now gone and doesn't it it doesn't compute you know like you can't keep being so rigid and doing things the same old way it's funny you say it doesn't compute because yes indeed yeah the lower schools but in in university you know i was taught how, how things ended up where they are today and taught how to think. You went to a very liberal university. Word. You yes, did. I did. I mean, that that's not the norm. You went to a really good school. I just know my what I experienced. So we got to wrap this one, kids. All right, guys. Well, I hope I don't give people nightmares. I'm sorry. I feel like you guys hate me for <sighs> what voices. I just said. 
Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Come back. Don't don't whisper. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you in a few days. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. Talk to you later. Oh, go to ourfriendlyworldpodcast.com and you will find links to everyone here if you want to talk to anyone. All right. We'll see you later. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.